0: Another episode of Turnstiles and Tribulations. Welcome, Chris. It's been a a couple of weeks, but we're back and we're here talking about the Arsenal. How are you doing?
1: Very well. Thank you, mate. Um, Yeah, we've been, been away for a little bit, but raring to get back into chatting about the club.
0: Yeah, man. We're going to talk today about the game against Brentford away. Just yesterday, Arsenal took them on in an early kickoff moved around with obviously all of the fixture changes with the Queen's passing and her funeral, uh, what will be later on today, as we're recording this late Sunday night for me, but early early Monday morning for you, Chris. We could just kind of kick things off, if you like, with talking about the game and what happened, if you want. Yeah, another win for us,
1: because it felt like, did it feel like ages between games? Is, is that always yes. the case? When you're winning, you just want to play. Yeah. And having two games, um, obviously, postponed, it just felt like I was just urging to, to watch the team again. Partly because we're playing and, and getting good results, but partly because the football has been so good and it's been so enjoyable to watch us. Um, I was just absolutely aching to see us back on the pitch. So it was, it was good to finally get to Saturday. And uh, even better, that they moved it forward a little bit. So- How were you feeling going into the game? Because did you think that the team would have any kind of ring rust or the fact that we hadn't played for a while? Do you think it was going to affect our momentum?
0: I I had been thinking about that in, in the gap that we've had. I was wondering if not playing so much, not getting the opportunity to obviously take to the field after the old Trafford game. I wondered if that could affect us negatively, but... I kind of uh, one of the points we'll come on to when we're actually into talking about the game. I, my mind goes to these kind of thoughts first because it's kind of what's been ingrained in us over the last however many years, maybe to air towards a negative without wanting to. But I'm like shaking myself seconds later, and I'm like, no, this is a new Arsenal, they're going to be fine, they're having a great time on the training pitch, and uh, and everything's going to be all right. The cat behind me i don't know if you can hear chris she's agreeing with me so she's she's obviously happy that the boys are back and playing too i watched the game late i didn't get up with it moved to 12 o'clock it's 4 a.m here for that and if it's tottenham or one of the other bigger games yeah you better believe i'm not sleeping and i'll be up ready for that one in the morning but with this one being a bit earlier i was like no i will take the the sunday lion and just turn my phone off and watch it when i wake up which is what I did. So um, I didn't have any of the like pre-game build-up to see the starting lineup and have that time to digest who was in it and who wasn't. Because obviously one of the big surprises to me anyway was Erdogan not even in the squad. Um, and you, you mentioned off-air that uh, he's picked up some sort of injury.
1: Yeah, I believe that both him and Zinchenko have now got minor calf injuries, which is going to keep them out of uh, the internationals as well. Um, but it seems like they, they should be back in time for um, the the big game on October the 1st. Um, so going into it, you've got Fabio Vieira making his Premier League start, first start. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously Kieran Tierney back back into the starting line-up. And I think the biggest player to come back into the side and the player who we've probably missed the most, Thomas Partey, um, who we were a little bit worried about um time scale wise for the last games but with this little additional few days without playing seems like he's completely recovered from his um, injury and back into the starting lineup i was confident with that team i thought that okay you're missing your captain but Fabio Vieira is a player who we've spent a lot of money on he's not a 19 year old he's you know he's 22 he's won a league title and we've bought we've bought well, we've bought young and from the cameo that he's, he's shown us in the Europa game, I wasn't too worried that he'd be able to create and maybe not run the game in the same way as Odegaard, but have a, an effect on the game and be confident enough to step into those shoes and and play a similar role. And yeah, getting onto the game. I mean, from minute one, we, we were on, on top, we were in control and, we dominated the game. I think it was the, the first minute or the second minute we had that chance with um, a, a really good combination around the box. Ball was fed into Xhaka and I think he got it over to, to Martinelli for, for an early chance. And it just felt like, as we mentioned every, every sort of week, those first two minutes of Arsenal games sort of tell us where we're going to be. And when we start with the ball and we start with the confidence we had in that game, it just feels like we're we're just in control. We just believe that that we're gonna stamp our authority on it, and the game is ours to to control.
0: I one hundred percent agree with you, but at the same time, I disagree with one hundred percent veracity as well. I watched the first few minutes, and obviously, like you mentioned, we have that chance where. Um, where Gabby Martinelli falls over the ball. I don't think he was expecting Xhaka to lay it back off to him. I think Xhaka probably should have taken the shot and he fumbled. But I actually thought the first five, ten minutes was a bit slow. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like we were giving the ball away, making bad passes or bad tackles or anything like that. But it just it didn't have that zip and that flow that when we're at our absolute best. But what you said there, that we controlled the game. So it was a muted start, and we lacked a little bit of the speed and incisiveness, possibly fluidity of, like I say, some of our tip-top performances, but we had control. And going into this, after our last game where we played well but lost, I was spending those first couple of minutes, like I just mentioned, my initial thought was like you say, where we make that predetermination based upon the first few minutes, are we going to have a good game or are we going to have a bad game? My initial thought was because there wasn't flair in our play that maybe we wouldn't have a good game. But then I thought to myself, this new era of Arsenal, what if we do just go and get a goal though? And then that settles us down and we we move through the gears that way um, because I was worried, you know, Brentford have been playing well. They could punish us. I don't think Brentford particularly played well, though. I think that they had a pretty laxadaisical day at the office. They were a bit half-hearted. They were there, but they weren't kind of fully committed, I felt. And, um, and that's what let us really dominate without having to move out of third gear, I thought. So, yep, the cat, again, she totally agrees with what i'm saying yeah thank you it's not off-putting at all she's still going cool so that's completely fucked that part of what i was saying <laughs> um <laughs> and we're leaving that in um, we're leaving that in um yes cat shut up um so yeah, like I say, but with the uh, the new Arsenal that we're seeing, I was like, can we get a goal? Even though we're maybe not zipping the ball around perfectly, when we're, we're not—I don't know—we just felt that little bit missing. Like I say, third gear. Um, so we we did. I can't I can't remember what minute it was. Was it like twentieth something around there that we we get the first goal?
1: I think it was, yeah, seventeen minutes.
0: Yeah. Um, off of a corner because we had been pressing like Brentford weren't attacking our goal like I say we were solid uh, and we were controlling midfield as well Uh, I just feel that we we didn't have as many incisive passes into the box And again this isn't to be hypercritical or knock them back or anything like that because I think to if you're gonna be in the conversation at the end of the season and I do mean the conversation I think we should start to think about that a little bit and look at it if you're going to be in that conversation you win games without playing at your best Uh, and i think that's what we did uh yesterday i think that's what we did that we get a goal not from nothing or or anything such as that but we get a really good goal uh saka with a a nice ball into the front post saliba with a really nice sneaky well-timed run from behind tony to pop up in front of him. Tony's there, Brentford's, you know, first, first person to clear person. He's always the guy who normally heads the ball clear for them. So that was really nice to see Saliba just kind of run round him and uh, then flick the ball on a looping header over to the back post over Raya and in. Great skill for Saliba to do that. I mean, as as we know, uh, Ballon d'Or nailed on Sir so anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I felt that even with that goal, we still didn't go through the gears. We still stayed around that same kind of um, performance level. Do you think I'm blind and I'm mad or do you, did you have any thought or feeling like that? We were probing, I would say.
1: We were probing. And it, to me, it's a sign of confidence and it's a sign of a team that have a lot of different Variations and ways to, to score and ways to break teams down. In that, I felt there was a patience to the first few minutes, uh, before that, before that goal. Anyway, so the first fifteen minutes, there was a patience to things, and there was an attempt to try and find Brentford's weakness. Maybe, so it was like a testing performance. We had control of the ball, we're moving it both sides of the field. I think. In those first 15 minutes, Saka probably had as many chances to go at his um, defender on that side as Martinelli did. There was runs from Xhaka into the box. There was um, some longer range uh, through balls from Fabio Vieira. Gabriel Jesus was trying to drop deep and combine and then he was trying to get in uh, behind the defence. So I felt like there was loads of different ways that we tried to score in those first 15 minutes. It just looked like a team to me that was in control, but wasn't just sticking to the same game plan. It wasn't, right, let's get the ball out to the left and try and get past up against, say, Aaron Hickey. It was, let's test different areas of the pitch, let's move them around and we'll find a way to break them down. And although the goal didn't come from open play, it came from a set-piece again, um, because we're set-piece FC uh, it, it felt almost like it was a, an accumulation of all of those efforts to try and break the team down that came to it. Um, so that's the way I that's the way I saw it. And we were, I thought we were so dominant in recovering the ball in the first twenty minutes as well. It was really noticeable that every time Brentford tried to get out, when when our attacks broke down and they cleared towards Tony. Or they tried to uh, break and uh, counter on us, that we broke that up really quickly. We didn't give away too many fouls in those first 20 minutes from memory. Um, we were just winning those duels. And it was something that Arteta said in the pre match press conference that up against Tony, he's, he's going to win some of those battles, but we have to win more. We have to win those duels. And, you know, he said it's not always about. Um, winning the first ball. Some it's about winning the second one. So if you can put Tony off of winning the header, then you have to recover the ball quickly. And I thought it was quite noticeable early on that you had not just uh, Thomas Party who was screening the defence, you had Xhaka dropping quite deep Um, when uh, Brentford did win the ball because they're they're likely to play that direct ball towards Tony. And we had a lot of opportunities to kind of sandwich him. So you had Gabriel coming in from behind him and Jacka from in front of him. And it means it's impossible for him to win the ball cleanly. And then you've got other defenders who are swarming around ready to pick up that loose ball. And then you build your attack again. Um, So the game plan around winning the ball back, I thought was fantastic. And that's where I think some of our control came from.
0: Yeah, I agree. And to me, just what you're highlighting there, the, positional awareness, screening from midfield and so on, being effective, that is remedying the mistakes that we did make at Old Trafford. The first goal sticks in my mind, particularly that uh, there were people out of position, which is why we then conceded the first goal. And it really looked, uh, there was a few times watching Gabrielle pointing and gesticulating, there was a time where Tierney was calling for the cover in the right places Martinelli was focused on getting back, as was Saka on the right side, and we stuck to our task a lot better in this game. And like you say, that then nullified Tony. It really nullified Mbembo, who tried to get down our flanks. I think particularly tried to attack the uh, the right hand side, and he just had no joy. And um, and yeah, the control is just the the best way to describe it. All. We just had control without having to really break a sweat almost it was it was strange because i expected more of a test against brentford i thought they would be tougher than than what they ended up being ultimately Um, but like i say they um they when we had the ball they just kind of sat off us and it's perfectly highlighted by the two goals we then score thereafter where the ball drops to Xhaka 20 324 yards out, and no one presses him. We've got two people um, that have pressed the left winger. I think it was Tierney that was actually up that far. I think Martinelli was in the middle. And, uh, and yeah, Xhaka has all day long to look up. Jesus is in the middle, starts to drift off the, uh, off the man towards the back post a little bit. Xhaka puts in an absolute peach of a ball, great ball. And Jesus has a lot to do still. He has to really crane his neck round and get a lot of power into that, which he does brilliantly and gets it going in the other direction to beat Raya, who did get a, 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 wafted hand at the ball. Um, and it's two nil and I'm just dancing around the living room because like I say, I was expecting it to be tougher than it was yet at that point, I'm like, we're going back to the top of the table. And I felt very confident, very, very happy in everything that we were doing it was just really 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 good to be a team that is in that the big conversation at the end of the season to get a win like this without maybe what is considered playing like the arsenal free-flowing really beautiful passes constantly kind of like the Leicester or the Bournemouth game those are those kind of performances are nine out of ten um Whereas this was maybe like a seven and just less glamorous. And we got the job done. I just, I really like the fact that we could win in a different style. And yeah, half-time rolls around, 2-0 up. Did you think there was going to be a response from Brentford? Were you worried in any way that we've now got to weather a bit of a storm for a bit? What What was your thinking at half-time?
1: Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't worried at all. Maybe that's a sign of confidence in the team at the moment. Um, They did bring up a stat on uh, Sky that from a 2-0 position, Arsenal hadn't lost or drawn a game in 38 games or something like that. Uh, And then they went on to say that 2-0 is a dangerous lead and the next goal is really important after just (laughs) proving that it wasn't. (laughs) Um,
0: They said the same thing on the Premier League coverage. It was Glenn Hoddle and Michael Owen and they didn't have anything nice to say at half time about what arsenal were doing it was all that just brentford were bad nothing that arsenal were doing was good it was just all bad brentford
1: <laughs> yeah but like it it felt like i say it felt like we were in control and we weren't going to let it slip um so i didn't have any anything negative at, at half time no negative feelings Um, It was actually surprising, really. At halftime was the first time I then thought, oh, Odegaard's not playing, is he? You know, this is a performance without the captain. This is without the guy who's had probably the most touches in all all the games and making the most chances for us and the most passes. And he's not on the pitch and it doesn't look... It didn't look to me like it was a huge difference. Um, I was really impressed with what Fabio Vera did and he grew into the game. I thought he was attempting... Similar sorts of passes, he was making similar sorts of moves, and he he had some good combinations. Um, and then you know second half starts, and he he gets the ball from uh, from Saka, I think, yeah, about what twenty five yards out, and um, we see the first glimpse of a, a player who can certainly hit a shot because it, it was a beautiful strike of the ball and uh one apparently that he's been practicing in training from what the uh <laughs> the players were saying afterwards
0: just like Saliba brilliant mean, hit just like Saliba yeah yeah like the goal against Bournemouth um it is i'm just going to rewind a second there to what you were talking about like not noticing Erdegaard being gone i i do wonder if what i was seeing was because Erdegaard is a key part of our press and our maintaining speed in what we're doing when we're attacking Uh, and I thought Vieira had a very good game too but I I did wonder if maybe we just lacked the big Arteta disciple that Erdegaard is on the field constantly urging players to close or leading by example and and leading the press so maybe it was just things like that that i my eyes were not seeing and why I was thinking maybe we weren't up a gear or two but yeah Vieira was getting around really nicely uh and I was very confident and happy in, in what he was doing and yeah he got that ball and just lashes it with his left foot I did read something uh I think it might have been on the FPL Facebook page that there's only been a couple of goals from outside the box this entire season it's only been like three or four players have scored a goal from outside the box so far this season I think it was Josh DeSilva, Ivan Tony. And the lead player, um, c- 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 I can't remember Sinis Cine, something like that. Um, the lead player with a Se name, um, and yeah, he lashed it in, in off the post. It's it's everything you want to see from a midfielder like that. And for those of us that did, um, I for him because I really didn't know much about him. I did look up the quick YouTube. Uh, highlight reel and saw that those are the kind of goals that he likes to score so that isn't a shock to people that know him um, and knew him before and yeah I mean it was a it was a brilliant goal absolutely brilliant goal and like you mentioned earlier in the way that we probed the way that we did things we're able to score in different ways Um, although the left foot does seem to be the predominant foot I think we've Scored all of our goals that have been scored with a foot with a left so far this season. So there's a random stat that may or may not be true. Um, go look it up and prove me wrong if you like. I'm trying to think now. So you're saying every,
1: every goal we've scored that wasn't a header?
0: Yeah. They, they mentioned something in uh, in the commentary that I had for the Premier League that uh, Arsenal's last however many goals it was nine or ten goals. So, um, that may not cover all of our goals. Cause I think we've scored what, like 14 this season um, have all been with a left foot uh, other than the headers. And I'm just thinking back now, the other ones could easily have all been headers because of like I said, <laughs> set, set, set piece FC. So that, that could be a stat that we've only scored of our left foot so far this year, uh, which is an interesting one. Um, Yeah. I was absolutely buzzing for the lad to get a goal on his full debut. Like we saw, a couple of glimpses of uh, some flashiness at Old Trafford, and that was enough to get me excited. Um, so to see uh, to see a really good uh, performance by him and his Premier League debut was great. I want to make a big shout out here. When a minute or two later, there was a free kick on our on our right flank, Brentford's left, that they were going to swing in um to the area they did a cutaway to our fans and uh lo and behold they they zoom in on the sussex arsenal supporters club to uh to all my boys so if if you and i were going to have been at that game that that's where we would have been so uh big shout out to everyone there john and mark mills and, and barry and dan uh james kent matt crystalodu uh jimbo and ben and I think probably a couple of others that I might not know now that go to games since I left the UK. So I was like, yes, I was like 3-0 to the Arsenal and the boys are all there in the sunshine having a great old day. So I was very pleased uh, to see them all on there. Uh, that was that was decent. Um, and it was at about that point as well that I noticed we did start to move the ball around even better. I think by then Brentford had thrown the towel in is kind of what I'd felt and and we didn't necessarily uh increase our pace or or do anything too differently, but we it just Brentford just completely by then hadn't hadn't gotten or mustered anything for us in that second half and didn't look like they were going to. Um I feel like we could have scored a couple of other goals. Thought Saka had a really good chance that was um saved by Raya uh jesus had one late on where he just kind of muscled and bullied his way through as we've seen him do so it could have been a couple of more goals really and made it look even more comfortable but i'll take 3-0 any day um substitutions do you want to talk about that everyone loves to talk about the arteta subs
1: yeah i mean um what what, what was the what was the big substitution you want to talk about that one first
0: no, nah, we'll come to that one in, in due course we'll uh, the at uh, the top you know the cherry cherry on top i think
1: yeah well i mean it was it was important i think to to make sure that we rotate this squad a little bit even with an international break coming up you know that some of these players are going to go off and play for their nations and get a lot of minutes in their legs on top of um on top of what they've had in the premier league um thomas party obviously coming back from from a knock and probably not 100% fit yet. Um, he's going to go off and play for Ghana. They've got Brazil. Um, but they're playing the game in France, I believe. I would imagine that the uh, the managers of those teams are going to want to put out strong, strong line-ups because they want to see their players before the, the World Cup and they want to get a good eye on, on their strongest lineup. So, you know, players are going to go and play. So I think that might have been in Arteta's mind that... Um, he cut past his minutes a little bit there. And then the, the other two that come earlier on in the game, Enketia comes on. I, I think he'll be disappointed, if I'm honest, because I was thinking at at 3-0 that there was a chance ready to get on the pitch earlier and maybe get a lot
0: more minutes. 77 minutes is when Anketia came on.
1: Yeah, I, I think he'll look at that and be frustrated that he's not on the pitch earlier. It it seemed like the substitution that should have been made was Saka off and Enketia on. Because we Mm -hmm. know Eddie can play out wide and obviously the game's dead at at that point anyway. Brentford, like you say, had pretty much given up. I'm sure they didn't want to concede another, but they didn't look like they were going to score either. And it felt to me, you know, Saka's going to go off and play for England. You know, he's played a lot this season already. Get Eddie on. Give him a decent amount of minutes. Give him give him a chance to get himself on the score sheet, rather than, you know, just keep putting pile of minutes onto Saka's legs. It seemed like the ideal situation there. So it was it was strange to not see him come off a little bit earlier. the The other ones, we've got the situation where the three Gabriels aren't going to Brazil squads, and we've got Ben White not going to the England squad. So I guess with those players, it's not really a consideration because we're going to be in control of what they do over the next, uh, however many days we have, you know, until that, till the Spurs game. So we can monitor their red zone and their fitness level and make sure that they're fully fit for that game. So maybe the consideration there is just to again freshen things up and um, give Tommy Asu a couple of minutes at the end. But um, it was strange to me that Saka didn't come off slightly earlier.
0: I I just thought all of our substitutions, I'm surprised they didn't come earlier. At 60 minutes, we looked like the game was reasonably done and dusted. And like you say, if you bring Nketiah on then, you know he's got a decent chance at some minutes. Because right now, he's falling back into the trap of what happened last year, where he didn't get on. I disagreed with it a lot more that he didn't get on because uh, Aubameyang wasn't quite functioning at his highest level that we'd seen him. And then later in the season, certainly Lacazette played longer in the team without scoring a goal than he should have. So I think is probably going to be frustrated right? that he's not getting those meaningful minutes at the moment. Um, I just yeah, I just thought, like you say, Saka could come off. uh parte, manage him back from his injury. I do hope that maybe there's been a word had that it's like, you know, if you could only play him for 45, that'd be great. There's been some suggestion um, that the Brazil boys, I think it's it's believed that Jesus will be going to the World Cup. And I believe that um, Gabriel Magalhaes will also likely be going to the World Cup. And it's it's Martinelli that really needs to fight for his place if he's going to get on the plane um, out to Qatar. Do you think with... The game that we've got after the international break, that Edu rung his very close friend, like right? Tete only took the job on the proviso that Edu got to come with him as a technical director. Do you reckon he puts in a text or a call? It's just like you, you know, you don't need to see the Jesus, you don't need to see the Gabbies. It's like a Jedi mind trick, uh, <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you don't need to pick the Gabriels. And then Tete's like, I do not need to pick the Gabriels, and then they can now have a bit of rest and recuperation before the North London Derby. But then Edu sent a follow-up text, but definitely take Richarlison, <laughs> so that he gets called up. I honestly, I wonder if stuff like that has happened. I I would, but a hundred percent. If uh, if if you're my mate and your national team, and my my club that I'm working for is got a couple of your players that you know you probably by all rights should be calling up. I absolutely would be like, if you could just not, because we've got a North London derby coming up. Right. So I feel like that kind of conversation maybe has to have happened. And hopefully with Ghana, like I say, they'll manage Partey because we know he's delicate coming back from injury. Ben White, as you mentioned there as well, he you know didn't necessarily need to come off because he's not with the England squad, which I find slightly incomprehensible based upon his form and his versatility, how someone like Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw are in there and he is not, or even Gwehi from Palace. Like, If we're talking about just a squad, maybe not starting at 11, but he should absolutely be in that squad. I think it's a farce that he's not. Um, But that's a different conversation for a different time, maybe. But yeah, overall, I thought the subs were just later than they needed to be. And that does seem to be an Arteta thing. He does seem to allow players that I'm sat there thinking, oh, they must be red zoning or, you know, take them off, protect them, there could be an injury. But he seems happy to let them play on.
1: I wonder with Enketia whether the situation was all these minutes were planned and the plan was that he was going to play, obviously, 90 minutes or, or, or the chunk of the PSV game. So I wonder the fact that we had this idea that he was going to play there um, and Arteta has in his mind that he's going to play, you know, 10 minutes at the end of the the Brentford game and we don't change those plans. I wonder whether there's a little bit of, because things are so well planned that he's not working on, I was about to say he's not working on gut reaction, but we're about to come to that phrase, I think, in a second. But he, he's not working on the randomness of the game and, and game state. He's working on the fact that this guy planned to have these minutes during the week and he's planning to have this many minutes at the end of, of this game. I wonder whether that's something in it, because that's the only real thing I can see as a reason why he doesn't come on earlier.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's possible. It's it's a weird one. It is a weird one. I'm, I'm a bit kind of surprised by it. But uh, yeah, with just a few minutes left in the game uh arsenal make history for themselves they make history for the premier league with the youngest ever player to to come on in a premier league game which is pretty amazing when you think about it it's getting younger and younger i mean uh, they say if you're if you're good enough you're old enough and i do believe that uh, but yeah ethan winery that that i'm saying that right yeah, when area, I think, is, yeah. I think that's the pronunciation we're hearing. And he comes on. And uh, the our travelling support revel in the fact that we've brought on a 15-year-old. I'm not sure if you uh, heard the song or not, How Shit Must You Be, He's Only 15, um, being <laughs> sung, by, sung by the fans towards the end. I'm sure he'll have enjoyed that a little bit. And another little song that the boys and girls uh, there watching the game today, or yesterday, were singing was... Uh, to uh, Ivan Tony, just reminding him about just a walk in the park. Ivan Tony, it's a walk in the park. So, yeah. I mean, he didn't have to do too much. I think he got just a couple of touches on the ball.
1: I'm glad he got a touch.
0: Yeah. Because sometimes when a player... Cut, it, it, it was supposed to be coming on
1: for sort of two or three minutes and the ball didn't go out. And then when it did go out, it was for a corner. So we didn't want to make a change there. So it ended up, yeah, only being um, a couple of minutes on the pitch. But what an incredible... Like, it's unbelievable that a fifteen-year-old can play, it can be part of a squad. You know, it's it's insane. It's mind-blowing. But yeah, an unbelievable experience for him. Obviously, there's there's this thing about, and Arteta mentioned it, and uh, we've done it a few times, obviously during the season and last season. That there's often a, a youngster taken with the team as a sort of backup. Um, it, you know, when the the squad is announced, there might be another player who comes with the squad, who's a youngster, in case there's an injury in a warm up, so we can still fill the bench up with with a full complement of players. Um, and it's part of their development that they get to travel with the team. Um, if it's an away game, they're obviously staying in the hotel and seeing all the preparation and everything that goes into the team meetings. And it's something that okay, they would have done that with their youth teams, but nowhere near to the level and, and level of detail that um, a first team would do. So it's a it's an experience that uh, Arsenal and, and all other teams try and give young players during their development so that when they're ready to actually play and be a part of the the team and get some minutes, that they, that experience isn't new to them. And it's not a shock to the system that, you know, they're away from home and... You know, they've got to get a coach to this place and they have to do the... I don't know whether they're still doing the sort of COVID um, preparations and stuff like that and showing codes and whatever, but all that stuff and the media and um, the fan experience and playing in front of a a huge crowd is not completely new to them. So I think there's always part of that that a youngster comes along, but to actually get onto the pitch at 15 and 100 and whatever days it is, a year younger than Cesc Fabregas... Yeah, mental. mind-blowing. I mean, it's a fantastic thing for him and his family. And I don't think we'll see him again. I would think that part of the reason he was in the squad is the fact that the U21s and the U18s played on Saturday. So all those players who might be ahead of him in the pecking order for um, getting some first-team action played, you know, 24 hours earlier, or less than that, actually um so there's probably a, a little quirk that means he he was one of the options but um that's that's certainly no knocking knocking him uh, because arteta also had the option of putting on a 17 year old and chose to go for a 15 year old instead so he's obviously doing something well
0: well this is it arteta's never struck me as a sentimental person but this seemed like a sentimental substitution like they said on the commentary as well he he was only going to beat the record by 4 days so this was his only opportunity to to beat that record as the youngest ever player, and with Arteta talking about you know it was a gut feeling to to bring him and to have him to put him on, um, I it did feel like a sentimental sub, and I was a bit surprised by that, and I, but I'm absolutely stoked for him. I was like, just imagine that, 15 years old, and you're getting to come on and just play like three minutes. In an Arsenal shirt away from home, 3-0 up. Uh, the away fans able to take the piss out of the home team because you're on the pitch. Um, the, oh, just it just would have been amazing for him. I am I'm, I'm sure he's been buzzing. I think in my closing thoughts on the game, um, I thought Saka quietly had a very good game. He walked away with two assists. Um and that, to me, it was kind of only after the match that I realized that. I thought Xhaka and Partey uh, both had really nice games. Gabi was working hard down the left. Um, and he should have had a goal as well, just in that first couple of minutes. Um, Gabi Jesus, again, industrious, physical, was where we needed him to be. Worked his socks off. Fabio Vieira was a handful, uh, was popping up all over the place in that kind of 10 area. Um, just very nifty, and the back four were solid, including you know Ramsdale. I think only had to really make one or two saves, nothing crazy, but uh, but the back four were really good too. So that result, after the rest of the weekend's result, takes us back to the summit of the Premier League, and we've now played seven games and we're still there. Should we kind of talk about that a little bit? Is it too early, or I, I feel like? We can start to talk about it now. Yeah. so so I'll talk about the fact that we
1: are in a really strong position. And yeah, it's difficult because I don't think anybody, even with the best will, expected us to challenge for the title this season. It was about, for me, getting back into the Champions League and making progress. I wanted to see on I wanted to see visually that we were making progress as a team and we were a better side to watch and had a better attacking output than we had the season before. For me, those were the things that were important. So now to be top seven games in, it's a strange situation and a strange position. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. Realistically, I'm not thinking about winning the league just yet. I think we need to see how we perform against the big teams. And I think when you're trying to win the league, I think the the games that really matter are those big clashes. I think I said it another week. When you're trying to get into the Champions League, it's about beating the teams that we're beating. And then the games against the other big, however many teams it is now, but the, the games against the real Giants of the Premier League are the ones that define whether you're actually a title contender or whether you're just in that mix just below and you're in the European places. So, I mean, uh, the next game is going to be a huge marker, um, not just because it's a a North London derby, but because of, sadly, because of their season as well. Their season, they're firing. Um, They're probably higher than they expected to be. the, their scoring goals, um, they're undefeated. So it's going to be a real test for us to see whether we have the personality, to see whether we have the character against the Giants, against the big teams, to get a performance and to get a win. Uh, and that will tell us, I think, whether we're really going to match Man City blow for blow for the rest of the season or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and and not long after that I mean we've got am I right in saying that we've got Liverpool a few games after that?
0: Uh, Yeah I'm just looking at the fixtures now and we've got a lot of home games coming up obviously we've got Tottenham at home on Saturday October 1st we've then got what should have been our third but will be our second um, Europa group game and then we play Liverpool at home on the 9th then we're away in Europe, then we're away to Leeds, but then we're at home to PSV. Yeah, we've got a lot of fixtures coming up. Quite a few of them are at home. There's no reason why when we do break for the World Cup, we couldn't still be in this position or within the top three with a point or two separating the top three. So it's just an exciting time it's just nice to not have had this bubble burst yet I'm just happy about that Yeah um
1: I mean those fixtures you read out I look at the next two two games then in the league to tell us where we are um and that'll be a good marker I think if we are
0: top of the league I just, in 2 weeks time sorry to interrupt I just said as well we only got Chelsea we have completely disregarded Liverpool Um, that isn't because they're playing as badly as they are. I just had a bit of a a, a mind blank there. Obviously, we've got Liverpool as well. Um, And soon. So actually, just ignore what I just said. We've got a much harder (laughs) looking run of games because we've got the team who are in third. uh, We've got Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, But I still stand by that I think that this top three at the moment, which is quite tight, I feel that we will still be in that top three and that it will still be tight, you know, separated by one or two points.
1: Yeah, those those next two games at
0: home against
1: Spurs and against Liverpool will tell us where we are as a team. Because we've played one, if you like, big name so far and we didn't win that game. So that, that tells me like two weeks time, sorry, not two weeks time, two games time, we can probably have this conversation about are we seriously a contender for winning the league? Nine games in, but the teams that we've played will tell us where we where we are. Um it's exciting, like you say, mate. Um, you know, let's enjoy it while it's here because we're playing some fantastic stuff. That that game was another example of a a team full of confidence and um yeah, the combinations and everything are brilliant.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um one more note from the weekend's play. I was watching the Nottingham Forest game on Friday evening. And uh with all of the the bits going on before the game, you know, the the laying of the wreaths, the, the silence and the anthem and so on. And Frankie clapped eyes on Steve Cooper, the Nottingham Forest Manager for the first time ever. And she says to me, God, he looks absolutely off his nut. Is he drunk or something? And I was like, No, he just looks like that. That's how he was born. Um and I just found this hysterical that she she just thought that Steve Cooper just looks off his nut the whole time. He just looks like a zonked out wacko um standing at the side of a of a of a touchline. And the even funnier thing was tonight we were out for dinner and um she said when we were driving home, she was like, You're not gonna um mention what I said the other day, are you? And I was just like, What? What did you say? She's like, Oh, the thing about the um that manager i thought was like drunk or on drugs or something and i was like do you know what i'd completely forgotten about it but now that you've reminded me I, I immediately made a note and uh wanted to bring it up so uh yeah steve cooper if you're listening my uh my girlfriend thinks that you've got a face of a drug addict um so just just information it's not trying to be nasty it's just information <laughs> <All> Right. okay <laughs> I, don't, I don't know
1: what to say after that but maybe it's time for a break <laughs>
0: <laughs> Time for a break. Stick with us. We're going to uh, come back shortly. We're going to talk. Fantasy Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. We're uh, going to dive straight into talking about the FPL weekend. And to start off with, I'm going to play a clip that... Chris sent me before the Arsenal game, so it was first thing Saturday morning, and a a little note that he left for me, which I found hilarious, and I think you, the listener, will also find hilarious. So let's listen to Chris's thoughts on FPL and the bonus points system.
1: Bom dia, as they say in Brazil. Good day. Um, Early kickoff today, 12 o'clock. UK time, GMT or BST, wherever we are at the moment. Um, So I'm guessing that that's a really early start for you. Is that a four a.m. job? Uh, Probably should check that before I start the message. Um, Doesn't matter. If it's an if it's an early start for you, then good morning. Welcome to uh, welcome to the world. Uh, If you're watching it not live. Then, uh, well, I'll speak to you later anyway, but I've I've just checked fantasy, and I'm raging. And I'll tell you for why, I've got, obviously, a Drop Salah, Kevin De Bruyne are in, De Bruyne are captain, I'm watching the game, he gets his uh, two assists disappointingly goes off after 70 minutes or whatever it was but I'm sitting there thinking he outscored harlem definitely and everyone's got Harland in their team as captain so I've, there's the defer, there's the differential and not only that when the game finishes I think who is going to get the bonus points in this game who's been a difference and the commentator whoever it was can't remember gives De Bruyne obviously I think man of the match two assists ran the game could have added more could have scored himself it was all it was a it was the De Bruyne show we all watched it so I'm thinking right that's standard three bonus points added on to that that's double that's six fantastic and then I'm just off for a run here I go and check three bonus points for Cancelo are they having a laugh? What effect did he have on the game? How did they work out this bonus point system? What is going on there? He didn't get an assist. He didn't score. All right, he got a clean sheet, but Wolves didn't do much. You know, what are you going to give Edison a, a, a fucking bonus point as well for not touching the ball for 90 minutes? It's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. So to give... I think only got one. I mean, it is ridiculous. And it brings the whole thing into you know into question really. So I'm not very um very disappointed with that. I think it's a nonsense. Um, I had Foden as well, he scored. Obviously not good enough for a bonus point, but Cancelo just sort of wandering around, parting the ball ground, manages to get bonus points. Don't really understand it, but whatever. Um so, I've actually dropped down in the league um, as of today, before these games. I've also got some Arsenal players in the, in the team, and I've got a West Ham player, which is a bit of a difference to everybody else. I just, I'm not really happy about it, mate, if I'm honest with you. Um, right. Uh, let me know. Just drop me a message what time you want to record. Today or tomorrow, I'm around. I can be flexible been a while up the Arsenal right well the, the bonus point system has fucked me over twice um, <laughs> I, I'd like to let you know because not only did it do it in the Man City game um, where obviously De Bruyne was clearly man in a match and he was my captain um, and yet only got I don't know what was it one bonus point and Cancelo gets three, but it was in the <laughs> Arsenal game where Saka um, got two assists, two assists, and didn't get any bonus points, and yet Gabriel Jesus gets one, gets a goal, and gets booked, and somehow gets a bonus <laughs> point for it. Ah, oh,
0: God, that annoyed me when he got booked because I was just like, ah, oh, if he's going to get a bonus point, that's basically just wiped that out. Um, but that's what I meant earlier, right? That quietly saka had a good game it wasn't maybe overtly obvious that he got those two assists because i was a bit surprised by that too but obviously our bonus points had to go to the man the myth the legend uh, saliba um i can't think who we would have got uh i second. think vieira
1: got the um
0: the vieira oh yeah Vieira. Oh, that, that's fair enough just for the just for the pureness of the strike But yeah, it's not, it's not
1: fair enough because this is, this is like what you're (laughs) describing. (laughs) Like I'm on, I am massively on board with a, with a fantasy league where I'm in charge of it. Like subjectively, I decide what people are worth for things, but that's not the way that this game should work. (laughs) It should be worked on stats and two assists should mean something. And it should mean you get a bonus. The same with De Bruyne, clearly the best player on the pitch. I can't remember if he got man in the match, but I'm sure he did because he was brilliant. Um, he got two assists and he got a clean sheet and he gets one bonus point. I just don't, I don't understand what the measurements are. They're just making things up at this point.
0: I have had this thought too as well. Um, I have another league with people who are in uh, our league that we're in now. And a few years ago, final day of the season and I was not top. And all of the games were happening. I won it by Virgil van Dyke getting one extra bonus point, and I won the league on that one point. And I also would not have pegged him from that game as being someone worthy of those bonus points. The bonus point system is a weird lottery, I think they have a, a roulette wheel. That is mounted on the wall like a dartboard. They spin it and they throw darts at it at the same time to see who gets the bonus points. Because it is weird, but to hear you so incredulous at Cancelo getting all three of them—what did he do? You know,
1: it's a, it's a joke. Ah, it's a joke.
0: Do you know what that, rem- made- that
1: reminds me of? Is um, have you seen the South Park episode with the um, the Family Guy joke writing, um, scene? No, so they they have a they have a pop at Family Guy and how their jokes don't um, they're not any part of the plot they're just random kind of comments on stuff and they're just random scenes and they find out the writers for the Family Guy um, show are manatees and they're in this massive tank <laughs> and they just sort of pick <laughs> these lottery balls up and drop it into this container <laughs> with like three different words so it'll be, it'll be like yellow. <laughs> Um, Air Force, and then like Muhammad Ali, and then it'll go ding, 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 and then it'll put a joke together with those three topics involved in it. That feels like the system that they're using. They're just putting players into
0: this into this ball pit and just drawing out
1: Cancelo 3.
0: I mean, you've moved up a spot. We've, we've got some new entrants this week. I went out for drinks uh, a couple of weeks ago with some friends and forced them all to uh, join the league so that immediately actually knocked you down a couple of spots in the league because <laughs> nice, they really, had more mate. points than you already which <laughs> i did <laughs> i did like that but you've um you, you've you moved up into the top 10 you're, you're sat there in ninth um with not a bad week i think anywhere from 45 to 60 points this week is a decent haul with what will have been a tricky week for people because with a couple of games being postponed uh which you've got some of the more desired players People needed to be smart about their teams. I think there's definitely a couple in here that have maybe missed that there was a game on Friday and missed the deadline. And based on that, they struggled. Others have just gotten lucky, even though they missed that deadline, that their team and their um, substitutes did all right. I kind of got lucky as well as some of this was planned. Obviously, I never planned for game postponements and, and things like that. I'm not clairvoyant. But I'd left myself in a position to use two transfers, plenty of money in the bank because I'd sold Salah a couple of weeks ago. So I was able to make a couple of changes. I backed Newcastle to keep a clean sheet. Didn't work out for me, although I have moved up to third in the league, just so you know, between me and you. I am in third, three, podium, third, you're in ninth. That's, that's, if you like, times three, three times. It's 30
1: points, the gap, isn't it, between me and you? <laughs> so it's not... Mate, um
0: I've won the league by one point. As I just mentioned, I've won the league before by one point. So, I mean, that's 30 league wins between me and you, um, if you think about it by that metric. I think it's tight. I think from second, from second down, it's tight.
1: It, it, you know, it's close. And everybody scored similar kind of points, like you said, this week. I thought I had a good week but it's slightly better than a lot of people, but not by a huge amount. Um, I tried to make some intelligent decisions by having some differentials in um, Saka and then making De Bruyne a captain. Um, I've still got Haaland, as most people have, but I went for Saka over Martinelli. I've stuck with him because I thought a lot of people have got Martinelli. Um, And then most people had Haaland captain, so I decided that De Bruyne was a cleverer way to go. It's just not not done as, as well as I would hoped.
0: Yeah. What what are you thinking going forward? Obviously, who are you thinking of? You talked about a couple of differentials um, and we've got the kind of obvious picks at the moment would be someone like a Haaland. You could probably make the, the argument for Kane. I'm not sure who else is an absolute. You have to have maybe De Bruyne. I'd, I'd maybe bunch him in there. But Chelsea've got a new manager so we you know and they haven't exactly hit the ground running under the new manager. I don't know if he's going to be doing anything drastically different with their shape or whether he's got drastically drastically different um ideas about players. Maybe he's absolutely Chilwell's better than Cucurella why have we bought this guy? Um maybe he thinks Sterling should be playing in a number 10 role instead of as a, a wide front man. Maybe Aubameyang plays. There's so many things that can happen there. Then the other knock-on effect with what's gone on there is that Brighton, who've been a really decent and solid side so far this year and have had some really good returns from their midfield, they've now got a new manager, who I've never heard of, by the way. Um, What and how is that team going to respond to that? Are they just going to pick up where they left off or are they now going to drop off and be a bit different because their guy has moved on? Liverpool are still so hit and miss with one minute. They can look like they're the team that they are. And other times they look pretty poor. Who else is there? Obviously Leicester are now vying for the title of being the Premier League's whipping boys, not Bournemouth. Um, I wouldn't back anyone from Leicester, particularly right now. So, who are the differentials for you? Who's standing out as a player that you want to bring in because you think they're going to score points that other people are sleeping on? It's a good question.
1: I mean, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to steal that player, aren't you, and put them in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, this is a podcast. You can't leave the... It's not about me. It's about the listeners. Oh. We're, we're here to be informative. I've told people about my game plans. I've said I was going to sell Salah, and I stuck by it. I did it. I I said I was going to change things up and do things. You can't you can't hold on to onto these things.
1: I know, you you told me and I've not listened, that's the that's the issue I've got. Um look, the what I would say is I'm not gonna make any kind of decisions until after the internationals, I'll tell you that. Um but looking at as I always do the next sort of lot of fixtures is normally the way that I will I will look at things and I'll try and find what, what teams maybe I think are gonna win. I think Liverpool are an interesting one and I say that because I don't think they can go on forever with the sort of sloppy form that they've had and they've been depleted a bit through injury and some of their better players should be back in two weeks time. I know they've got a player. Thiago was back in Europe. Thiago was back. Jota played a few minutes, I think, um, the other day. Yeah. Um I know they've got a busy October. They've got to play us. I think they've got to play City as well. But oh, have they? Um, it, I just feel like they're a team who people won't have their players because they've not been on a good run. But I think that they'll come good at some point. I don't know if Salah's the way to go, but maybe some of their other squad players might be worth a shout. And maybe someone like Darwin Nunes could start to get on the on the score sheet a little bit.
0: But this is it. I mean, we've talked a little bit already this season about how it, it all of the points aren't just coming from a, a handful of players. Last game week, Ivan Tony, you know, won that week on points with his hat-trick. And then this week, he got a blank. Um, Mitrovic didn't score this week. Um, Kane did. Uh, Isak got a goal for Newcastle. There are a lot of strikers in this year's game that can get you points. So it's almost becoming difficult to choose between them all. And with Liverpool having some of their players back, so I've relied on having Luis Diaz as a starter. I do think he is the Sadio Mane replacement. I think he is on that team sheet. But I do think there's going to be some rotation now with uh, Nunez back from his suspension, Yotta being back um, from his injury. I was surprised when they played Everton and Firmino, who'd had such a brilliant couple of games before that in Europe and in the league was then benched for Nunez straight away. I was really shocked by that. So are Liverpool going to be like Man City and Guardiola and cause fantasy league managers so many headaches because of the selection let alone their form is it worth having liverpool players right now until you can bank on them being back to what we've known them for the last couple of years because i'm a bit worried about them i've got my wild card which i'm considering playing for this coming week that was part of my plan to kind of get to uh, once the internationals are done and uh, see how the league has taken shape and where we all are and then play my wild card. But at the same time, my team is reasonably settled. I might not need to play it. So we'll see. There's no there's no standout players that are jumping off the page at me to bring in right now. So I think it might be a case of uh, sit tight, even after the international break and uh even after game week eight,
1: yeah, makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense, but um we'll see there's there's a lot of big games coming up over October, and a lot of games for teams who are in Europe to play, so we're gonna have to deal with a rotation as well um and obviously the the nonsense of the bonus point system, which you know really just ruins the game for people. <laughs>
0: you've just got to <laughs> just have just a of the anyway. match the i extra ha...
1: point i would say i
0: had cancello
1: yeah that's what's annoyed me
0: I... <laughs> I appreciate all of those extra points um but you're right it is it is tight pretty much down to 13th maybe 12th it's tight you know if you got 20 points more than the people in the near vicinity above you you're going to jump up into mid-table quite quite nicely and then your name will be a bit closer to mine. So that'd be nice. Well, with that being said, uh, I think that wraps up FPL because right now it's a bit of an enigma. I don't think either of us have any solid advice for managers out there. And let's be honest, people are going to do what they want to do, not going to listen to us. But it is a bit of a minefield out there. There's a lot... It's a tougher game this year than it has been in previous years. So it is interesting to see the makeup of people's teams and how different they are. Um, And I look forward to seeing what the upcoming game weeks bring points-wise and where people sit in the league and um, the players that people bring in. I think I'll leave it there for FPL. Do you have anything more? Do you want to hate on the bonus points any more than you already have?
1: No, I've said my piece and I hope they um, take note of it, really.
0: We're uh, going to wrap up we're gonna leave it there, I think. Uh, unless you had anything else football related that you wanted to discuss. Anything else happened in the world? We we
1: should just mention um the good start to the season for Arsenal women. Um yes. I watched the game, uh, fantastic performance against Brighton.
0: Four 0 was it? And
1: um four nil, some really good goals. Absolute I mean, if if we dominated if sorry, if the Arsenal men dominated um the game uh, yesterday then the women were like a step up from that like brighton barely had a kick um fantastic um performance at the start of the season great win and um obviously the the biggest rival chelsea dropped points they lost to liverpool two one shock result because liverpool had just been promoted um i'm not gonna claim to know too much about um the the w s l league so um i'll probably leave it there for for insight, but uh yeah, a, a great start to the season for us and the biggest rival dropping points is is a good start. Yep,
0: yeah, Beth Mead, uh the England Lionesses' favourite daughter with two goals and like you mentioned, our biggest rivals if we're able to be up the top again this year, Chelsea dropping points early on. So uh fingers crossed the the ladies can keep that up. And um yes, I did read about that game just briefly that we played them off the park, right? Like you said, they Brighton had nothing. Um, and we we looked very dominant against them. So fingers crossed, the girls can uh, can keep that going. And it's just and they play they play a uh, Champions League qualifier as well. I think during this
1: week they play Ajax. So um, yeah, good luck to them there as well.
0: Awesome, yeah, absolutely. Good luck and uh, and do us all proud. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll leave it there for this week. Big thanks again to everyone. We say it every week, but uh, it is really appreciated. You all listening and taking the time out of your day. Do feel free to follow us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, All of the links are in the show notes. You can just tap on it and find us and follow us. Uh, But the main thing is to share us with your friends. If you think that there are people out there who would like to listen into this, um, then, then please put them onto it. Also, if you want to tell us about what we're talking about, if you think we're missing something in the games, if you think we're not talking about a subject that we should be, please do comment on the posts that we put out for the pods uh, and let us know, get in touch. That that would be uh, huge. We want to hear from, uh, from all of the people that are listening um, as this is going out around the world we've got listens in some random places and some lovely places recently we've added nigeria uh, and taiwan so hello to all of you uh out there who are listening we just need to break into south america and uh, that's pretty much every continent covered so uh, yeah if you've got friends in peru or ecuador or chile or anything like that you tell them about us get them to listen um and then chris and i will consider ourselves as uh globally dominating Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah, well said mate. Um I'm I'm looking forward to <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing from some, some of the people from far and wide. Um I know that we've got um listeners in a few of the different supporters clubs around the world. Um and you know similar to them we've we've lived that sort of uh, experience away from away from the UK and, and been up at early hours watching the games you're still doing it over there in in Canada. would uh, be great to hear their uh, insight and opinions on stuff as well
0: absolutely right well we'll stop rambling and we'll let you get on with your day thanks again and we'll be back soon uh, after after the international break and talking hopefully about a very good game against Tottenham